Well, in his book, What Good is God, Philip Yancey tells a story of a youth group trip to Afghanistan in the 1970s. Before the Russian occupation of Afghanistan, before the Taliban regime, at the time, the government did allow a small group of Christian churches to service internationals who worked there, to come in and to do programs for them, and uh, they were allowed to speak the gospel, but the rule was that no Afghans were allowed to be present. And a friend of Philip Yancey's told him this story, a friend named Lynn, uh, who organized a musical team of young people to tour, at the time, uh, these Middle Eastern countries. And with some trepidation, he actually accepted an invitation to extend that trip to Afghanistan for a concert in downtown Kabul. And Lynn, the leader of the trip, made the teenagers write out exactly what they would say, subject to his approval. He said, this is a strict Muslim government. If you say the wrong thing, you may end up in prison and at the same time jeopardize every Christian who lives in this country. Memorize these words and don't dare stray from them when you perform. And so the teenagers listened with just wide-eyed attention as he described this kind of ominous consequence of any misstep that they may have. And the night of the concert in Kabul, a thousand Afghans showed up spilling out from the hall, out the doors open just to listen. And all went well until one teenager on the team put down his guitar and started improvising. He said, I'd like to tell you about my best friend, a man named Jesus, and the difference that he's made in my life. And from the side of the stage, Len motioned wildly for him to stop, drawing his finger across his neck, Ignoring him, the teenager just continued and he gave a detailed account of how God had transformed his life. I was practically beside myself, Lynn said. I knew the consequence and I sat with my head in my hands waiting for the sword to drop. Instead, the most amazing thing happened. The Minister of Cultural Affairs for Afghanistan stood and walked to the stage to respond. He said, we've seen many American young people come through this country. Most of them come from drug, for drugs, and most look like hippies. This was the 70s. We've not seen nor heard from, your, from young people like you. God's love is a message my country needs. How thrilled I am to hear you. I'd like to invite you to expand your tour so that you visit every college and faculty and also give this same message on Kabul radio. I will make it happen. And Len was dumbfounded. That night he gathered the musical group together. He said, did you hear what the man said? We're changing our tickets. We're going to lengthen our visit. And he wants you to give the same message. So this time you better not change a word. And over the next few days, the team held other performances all around the country. And after each event, Afghan young people crowded around with questions. Tell me more about Jesus. We know of him through the Quran, but you speak of a personal relationship with God. Can you describe it? How does your faith change you? Some asked to even pray with the teenagers. 
Nothing like it had ever happened in Afghanistan. It's amazing, isn't it? We, we love hearing stories like this and reports like this, right? Because they remind us of what is possible. That there are people around the world today in far off places, in challenging and difficult places that are ready and waiting for the gospel. Ready and waiting to hear the gospel. They are like a harvest ready to be brought in waiting for the workers to come, for the workers to come with the message of Jesus, to bring them in to the kingdom of God. Today we're concluding a series of messages that we've been in over the past few months, looking at Jesus as our teacher, the teacher who changed the world. What does it mean to accept Jesus as teacher? And over the last few months, you've heard Pastor Dudley and myself say on a, a number of occasions, this phrase that the church is the hope of the world because of its message and its people the hope of the world because of its message and its people and today I want to add something on to that because that's true then the message of the church sends us into the world to be compassionate people the message of the church sends us into the world to be compassionate people and today I want to let Jesus teach us yet again what it means to be workers for the harvest workers in the field for him compassionate people carrying his message into the world and so I want to invite you to look at Matthew chapter 9 we're going to start in verse 35 and here Jesus has been as we've been talking about him as teacher these past few months Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching He's been performing miracles. He's been healing the sick. And so the crowds keep growing and growing. And at one point, Jesus kind of steps back. He takes stock of the situation. And he kind of asks himself, Man, look at what is happening. Look with me at verse 35. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were helpless and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. This has been a very meaningful passage in my life over the last five years. When we were planting our church down in Wilton Manors, uh, this was a passage that we frequently came back. It was kind of the heartbeat of our prayer life as a church. That when Jesus sees all of these people, he stops and he sees them like sheep that are lost. That they're just on their own wandering about. And right then and there, he's moved in compassion towards them moved in compassion towards them and so this morning if we are going to see ourselves as workers for the harvest sent out as compassionate people into the world then we're gonna need to ask ourselves a couple of questions and the first question I want us to consider this morning is are you growing in compassion right now at this moment in your life can you say that you're growing in your compassion for others. 
This is not surprising, perhaps, to read about Jesus being moved in compassion, right? Even if you're here and you don't consider yourself a Christian, it may not be surprising at all to hear that Jesus, of all people, was moved to compassion for others. But it may be a bit more surprising to learn that this has always been true of God. This has always been part of God's story with his people. Throughout the Old Testament and the story of God's people, Israel, he was constantly being moved by compassion towards them. Look at this verse from Psalm 145. It says, The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. And in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, looking back at the great story of Israel's history, the story of the Exodus, it says this, Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. By day the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. But often, as God's people did in the Old Testament, they would from time to time go their own way, forget about him, want to do their own thing and head in their own direction. But even then, look at what God does. A few verses later in Nehemiah 9. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. Time after time, God was moved in compassion towards his people. And I don't think I have to draw the straightest of lines to tell you that God has moved in compassion towards you and me in the same way. And so here Jesus is reminding us of what God is like, of what the character of God is about. Jesus reveals the heart of God. Compassion for his people is at the heart of God's heart. This has always been true of God Though we are people that have gone astray, on our own, harassed and helpless, he has moved close to us like a, she- like a shepherd looking for his sheep. And remember, that may bring up those familiar words from Psalm 23. Where the psalmist writes, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. God has always compassionately been gathering his people close to him to care for them. And so this is the story that the Bible is continually telling. And Jesus, in this situation in Matthew 9, when he looks out over the crowd, is revealing that further. Interestingly enough, the Greek word for compassion in the New Testament means to be moved from the inside literally to be moved from the organs. Now, that may sound funny, but how often when you have been moved in compassion, has there kind of been a physical feeling that's come with it? You could almost feel it in your gut. 
as God prompts you and moves you in compassion for others, often this physical feeling comes with it. God is moving us towards others. And so the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is, are you growing in compassion? Today, is that something you're finding happening more and more often in your life? That surprising feeling, that prompting of God's spirit to care for others. Maybe even it surprises you. Never felt it before or thought of that person in that way before. But if we're going to be sent out into the world as God's compassionate people, workers for the harvest, then we have to be growing in compassion. One of my favorite actors is Jeff Bridges. And in an article a few years ago, he was asked to identify his worst character defect. And he said this, not loving enough, not having enough compassion, empathy, wisdom. My wife and I have been married for 36 years. I'm deeply in love with her, but every once in a while we'll get into what I like to refer to, and I love this, our deep ancient battle. It's always very elusive, and it's hard to find the real kernel of it, but basically it's about this. You don't get it. You don't get what it's like to be me. Neither of us really understands what it's like to be that other person. I think that's such a powerful quote because what keeps us often from moving closer to people in compassion is this feeling that you don't really get me. I just don't get you. You're too different from me. We don't agree on anything. I actually don't like this about you or the way that you're living your life or presenting yourself to the world. And so instead of being moved in compassion towards others, often we move away from others in annoyance, because of fear, because of disgust. We don't understand what it's like to be the other person and so we fail to move towards them in compassion we're not moved in that way so how then are we to be growing in compassion how can you be growing in compassion how are we to grow and to become more like jesus in this area and i want to submit this to you today to think about that you are growing in compassion when you begin to see others as jesus sees them when jesus saw the crowds He had compassion on them. Jesus sees them as scattered and lost sheep, helpless. And as a Christian, as you grow to be more and more like him, you are without question going to grow more and more in compassion for others. You're going to see people as Jesus sees them. And you know what else helps us towards that end? What helps us is seeing ourselves the way that Jesus sees us. That you and I, just like everyone else, just like the Afghans in that first story, on our own are helpless and lost without Jesus. And that's always been true of humanity as we've seen in those Old Testament passages. That from the very beginning, we have sought to go out on our own, away from God, Defining life and everything that's right for 
ourselves, and that has brought sin into our lives, sin into the world. It's actually kept us from seeing others with compassion, and so we hurt one another in our sin. And because God is holy and just, he has to do something about that. It can't stand. That sin between us and God cannot remain. It must be punished. And that's the bad news of the gospel. But the good news of the gospel is that because God, as he always is, was moved with compassion towards his people, came to us in Jesus. And Jesus lived a compassionate, perfect life who did everything that was necessary to become the perfect sacrifice for our sin, who allowed himself to be arrested and convicted and sent to the cross to be punished in our place. Even the cross is an incredible symbol of God's compassion for you. But the glory of the good news is that just three days later, he rose from the dead so that now, with sin and death defeated, we now can be raised to new life to feel God's spirit working in us to draw us out into the world towards others with compassion. It's the work of God's spirit growing compassion in us. D.A. Carson is a theologian and writer and in one of his books he was describing going to the beach with a friend and he was just in some real need for R&R to relax, to kind of unwind. And when they got to the beach, he came upon a group of high school students that were celebrating graduation, fitting today. They were being very rowdy and loud. Maybe not the best kind of party, he describes. And he writes this. Deeply disappointed that my evening's relaxation was being shattered by a raucous party, I was getting ready to cover my disappointment by moral outrage. I turned to Ken, my friend, to unload the venom but stopped as I saw him staring at the scene with a faraway look in his eyes. And then he said rather softly, high school kids, what a mission field. What a mission field. You see, that's the attitude and motivation that followers of Jesus need to have if we're going to be workers for the harvest. Growing in our compassion to be able to look on others, even those different than us, and be drawn to them with the love of Christ. Look with me at Matthew 9, that same scene where Jesus is looking out over the crowds. And in verse 37, it says this. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus turns to his disciples and basically states the problem and the solution in two sentences. Look at all these people. Look at all these people. And there are going to be many, many more. Look at how lost they are and scattered and helpless. The problem, Jesus says, is that the workers for the harvest are few. There's not enough of them yet. But the solution, he says, is to pray for more workers. Pray for more workers. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. The solution is to pray, pray, 
pray that God would send us out into the fields looking for the lost, right? Moved with compassion to care for people and to tell them about the good news of Jesus. So this brings us to the second question I want us to ask this morning. If we are growing in compassion and Jesus says there's a problem that there are too few workers and we're to pray for more workers to be sent out into the fields, the question is, do you believe this is really about you? Do you believe that this is really about you? You see, we're tempted to hear great stories of missionaries like we just heard in Afghanistan in the 70s. Hear all these wonderful reports of things happening around the world. We're tempted to see people coming to faith in Christ and think, well, I'm really glad that God is sending workers out into the field. This is great. But this is also about you and me. Because Christians are meant to look out into the fields around them, into our own lives, into the world that surrounds us, and to see others like Jesus sees them. We're called to step back, to take stock, to be moved with compassion towards the people around us and the people around the world. You and I are called to carry that message of Jesus as compassionate people because the Christian life is a compassionate life lived in the world. And because it's a compassionate life lived in the world, the Christian life is also a sent life. Jesus sends us out. And so as we pray for more workers in the harvest, we partially answer that prayer by realizing that we ourselves are sent out into the fields, that you are part of the answer. You are part of God's workers in the fields of harvest. So why do we have so much trouble with this? Why do we seem to have such difficulty at times seeing ourselves that way? Well, if we're honest, there's just a lot of fear. Maybe when it comes to thinking about sharing our faith or having a conversation around faith in Jesus, there's just so much fear that overwhelms us. Fear of rejection, fear of revealing to that person, a coworker, a neighbor, that we follow Jesus, that going to church is a big part of our life. We just wonder how the world is going to receive us. If we're really honest, the pace of our lives is just too fast. Most days, we're trying to find some time for ourselves. If I could just find a few moments to kind of relax and catch my breath, then I'll be okay. Let alone be able to find some time in our day where we could actually be moved in compassion towards others. For some of us, if we're honest, maybe we just don't know what to say. What would I even say to someone if the conversation steered towards faith or church or Jesus? How would I say anything that's worthwhile for someone to listen to? I wanna give you two practical tips that I think are helpful. If that's you, if at times we feel uncertain of what it is that we could, how we can steer a conversation towards faith or towards Jesus. One helpful thing to do is simply this. It's a very simple thing. Let the person know that you go to church. Find a way in that conversation 
to somehow say, you know, my wife and I, we, for the last few months, we've been really going to Boynton Beach Community Church, this church down the road, and we've gotten involved there. It's, a, it's becoming a big part of our life, and I can't tell you how much that's meant to us. You'd be surprised at where conversations can go from there by simply letting people know that you go to church. Secondly, uh, if you find yourself in a conversation, I think it's so important to let people know what being a Christian means to you. What is it meant in your life to follow Jesus? Where have you seen the change? You know, following Jesus has really changed the way I think about parenting. The way I parent my kids has really been changed and affected by me being a Christian. The way I think about owning this business in the last few years since becoming a Christian has really changed because of what it means to follow Jesus. And from there, we're off and running into a conversation of faith. Remember what Jesus tells the disciples that the problem is. There's too few workers. And remember the solution, to pray for more workers. But if you've come to a place in your life where you can say that I, yes, I am a follower of Jesus, this is the most important part of who I am, then you also are part of answering that prayer to be sent out into the fields around you to work the harvest for Christ. So the question is, what's the closest field around you? In your life right now, where is the closest harvest field? Maybe you live in the canyons down the road here. And maybe your block is the closest field around you. We had dinner last month with a couple from our church who live in one of those neighborhoods. And just amazed by how they were describing their neighborhood life. That they shared so much with their neighbors. They had block parties. They watched each other's kids. They shared holidays together. And I was just taken aback and thought, wow, this is amazing. This is what community life is really all about. What if your block was your harvest field that Christ was calling you into? What if you live in Lake Charleston and your street is your harvest field that Jesus is calling you into? What if you've become a regular down at one of the restaurants down the road at Delray Marketplace? Because you've become a regular, you're getting to know people and now you're finding ways to be compassionate towards the people that you're getting to know. Jesus sends us in to these places with his message, all while being compassionate people. On the last day of that triumphant tour that these youth group kids were on in Afghanistan in the 1970s, the teenagers met a man named J. Christie Wilson, who was a revered figure in Afghanistan at the time. He was born of missionary parents in Iran, spent 22 years in Afghanistan serving uh, diplomats, uh, working in schools, building a church, founding a school for the blind in Kabul. And on that day, Wilson drove these teenagers around to a very unusual tourist site, to a graveyard where the infidels were buried. And as they visited this cemetery, he walked with them past these gravestones and he came to one and he said this, this man buried here worked here 30 years and translated the Bible into the Afghan language. 
Not a single convert. And in this grave next to him lies the man who replaced him along with his children who died here. He toiled for 25 years and baptized the first Afghan Christian in Kabul. 55 years, one convert. And as they strolled among the gravestones, he recounted these countless stories of early missionaries and their fates. And at the end of the row, he stopped and he turned and he looked at these teenagers, looked them straight in the eye and said, for 30 years, one man moved rocks. That's all he did, move rocks. Then came his replacement, who did nothing but dig furrows. There came another who planted seeds and another who watered. And now you kids, you kids are bringing in the harvest. It was one of the greatest moments of my life, Len said. I watched their faces as it suddenly dawned on them, these exuberant American teenagers, that the amazing spiritual awakening that they had witnessed was just the last step in a long line of faithful service stretching back many, many decades. You see, living a compassionate life is about being faithful. It's living a faithful life where God has placed you. It's about living a sent life. It's about being faithful to tell of the good news when God brings the opportunity in the place he's put you. And so you may be placing seeds of faith in someone's life when you're at that block party, when you're having that conversation with a coworker. You may be putting the seeds of faith deep into their hearts that down the road in another neighborhood or listening to another pastor at another church, the harvest will be reaped. The harvest will be reaped. We're going to sing a song in just a moment, a, a new hymn. It's actually an old hymn uh, that's been made new called Facing a Task Unfinished. And the lines of the chorus say this, that we are called to go out into the world with kingdom hope because no other name saves like Jesus Christ the Lord. And one of the verses says, we who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. So do you believe that this is about you? That this is God calling you as one of his workers into the harvest field. Not just missionaries to far off places, but right here in Boynton Beach. Right here and right now. Right here in this suburban community around us. I want to close by reading you the end of an article that I think speaks so well to what it be, means to be moved in compassion towards a community like the one that surrounds us here in Boynton Beach. The author writes this. But who are we to say that one soil is more fertile than another? Perhaps this field is yours to till simply because you find yourself already in it. No plane ticket required. No bold geographical leap of faith. Just a slow and steady determination to respond well to the call to love your neighbor literally. 
even if their problems are messy and mundane and not the stuff of headlines or documentaries, even if they never soften to the gospel. It is good for our hearts to break for Africa, for Asia, for South America. It is good for seeds to be planted by passionate believers in the fertile soil of distant lands. But I pray that hearts might also break for the suburbs and that God would raise up faithful men and women who will till where the ground is rocky and unforgiving, believing for a harvest that could only be reckoned as supernatural. Pray with me. Ask the Lord of the harvest who sows and reaps where he pleases, both near and far. Are you growing in compassion? Do you believe today that this is really about you, that God is calling you out into the world to work for his harvest, to be a compassionate people? If you're a follower of Jesus, then those answers are yes, yes, yes. Let's pray that God continue to move us towards that end, okay? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning knowing that you have called us to this but we also confess that so often instead of being moved towards compassion, moved towards other people uh, with the way you see them Lord we are annoyed we're easily offended Lord we are fearful aggravated disgusted and yet God we see you we see you look out over the crowds and your heart breaks with compassion. God, I pray that through your spirit, somehow, even now, in us, you would begin to move us to be more like you, to lead with compassion, to befriend, and to carry the message of the good news, what you have done in our lives. God, this has been true throughout the centuries. It is true around the world. And we want it to be true in our hearts and in this place and in this community. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.